Well, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat, or you can stand if you want, I suppose. <laughs> good morning. We've got to get in the right place here. So hopefully you got those notes. I can't promise that'll help you understand what I'm saying, but might help. Well, it's been uh, quite a few years ago, feels like five, so it was probably ten, you know how that goes, that uh, I was in my office and I got a phone call from someone that I perceived was local here, Camus Washougal. I, I, I don't know who it was, but um, she told me about how, you know, she had the sky and it was love, and uh, anyway, they're getting married, and she wondered if I would uh, officiate at their wedding the next day. And uh, so that was interesting. And uh, so anyway, I launched off to uh, kind of on this explanation of how, you know, boy, there's lots of people getting married. There's lots of weddings out there. But at Gateway, we've kind of chosen, we chose a path to, uh, you know, we can't do it all, but we'll work with people who really want to dive in, take a little time, and, uh, and kind of work on that relationship, go as far as they can, develop that, and then we'll have a ceremony. It'll be a wedding there you know, some time down the road. Anyway, I launched off into explaining that, thinking that this was for her, probably like, like you know, when you're flipping through the yellow pages and you, you try one company, it's like, no, they don't have carpet. You know, you go to the next one. Okay, that's fine. You know, she's like, oh, I'm looking for something else. But that actually wasn't what I got. Just all of a sudden, as I'm describing what we do here, she said, how dare you? How dare you tell me what I can't do? which I don't think I had done. But anyway, she was very upset and uh, rather intimidating. Actually, I don't remember anything after that. But uh, the phone call didn't last much longer. And, and so, you know, one thing was really obvious right away. I hung up and it's like, wow, um, she really doesn't want anyone to tell her what to do. I, I got that. And, but then as I thought about it a little more, it's like there, there was more to it. And and there was, um, she was scared about some things. And it was love and all that. But clearly, she was afraid of some things, feeling kind of insecure about that. And I, I have no idea how that turned out. I couldn't tell you, begin to tell you who she was. But I've thought about her over the years and, and, and worried about that. Because just like with her, in our lives as well, fear really messes with us. It reduces our capacity to love. It changes and alters how we're able to love other people. If your capacity to love people could be measured, if we could hook you up to a gauge like your, your gas gauge in your car, what would it register today? Feeling pretty good about your capacity to love others. Is it feeling like a full tank? Or do you sometimes feel like you just can't quite... <laughs> get enough out of that thing. Today, John is going to uh, talk with us and challenge us on completing or perfecting, or if you will, maximizing the kind of love that you can express. Now, he'll talk about some ideas that have to do with God loving us, uh, our loving God, about uh, loving each other in the family of God, and just some principles that really are, are pretty basic, and, and you can apply that to loving all people. We jump into First uh, John chapter 4, we're up to verse 17 as we start here today, and he says, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. 
there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, here's it. I know this is just shocking to you. John, for his topic today, has chosen the subject of love. (laughs) If you've been tracking with this series, I don't know, maybe you're even kind of sitting back going, wow, does he talk about anything else? Is that all he's got? Is John just stuck there? And, you know, maybe that's, is there anything different in 2nd John or 3rd John? And and how long is this going to go? And I think as we, I don't know if you have that kind of sense at all, but I, I picture John over in the corner and he's writing it as we're hearing it and it gets a little smile like, oh, tired of love, are you? Let's just ramp that up a little bit. Let's talk about perfect love. How about that? Is that challenging enough? How about completing your love? Now, suddenly, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm a little intimidated. Ooh, perfect love. That sounds like that's a little beyond me. But uh, here he is. He's, he, our subject is love, and he's going to talk about kind of maximizing your capabilities here, getting it as good as you can get. Now, obviously, that perfect love here at the end is partly is God's love for us, but he has in mind that we're going to get good at this as well. He gives us a principle. What is a mean to have a complete kind of love or an advancing love and he says this principle there is no fear in love i don't know about you but i don't generally think about fear and love at the same time it's sort of like well love's in one part of life and then yeah there's fears but what do they have to do with love it's not automatically or intuitive to me but if you think about it for a moment you realize oh actually they intersect all the time don't they you want, to, you want to love someone, uh, but then suddenly up crops this fear of being di- disappointed, that they might hurt you, that they, they might, uh, you know, disappoint you in some way. And that fear begins to determine your behavior and influence your choices as much as the love that you wanted to express to them. Or you really want to love someone, but you start to fear, well, but, but what if they don't love me back? What if, what if I try and give this much and they don't give that much and this this fear of not being loved back begins to influence what we do as much as the love we wanted to express in the beginning or or we want to love someone but then suddenly there's this sense that maybe we won't have quite so much control or or maybe I won't have my say in that if I just try and love them I'll I'll be run over or something and that fear begins to influence us more than the love Oh, fear and love intersect all the time for us. It's in view so often. Now, we're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to think about that. But John has a couple pictures for us. What does it look like to have your your love kind of refined, to have the the fear taken out of it, at least in an increasing way, a little bit less fear in your love? What would it look like? And he says one of the things it would look like is to have confidence. Now, that's a theme that John's already talked about. The confidence he's talking about is not arrogance, but this kind of uh, at peace, restful, joyful confidence in your connection to God. That you are relating to him in this love-trust relationship. And he says, let's take it to an extreme. That one day you wake up and you realize that not only are you in relationship with a loving Savior, but he also happens to be the judge. And there's a day of judgment coming. But even there, you don't experience fear because you understand what it's about. 
you trust him. And it's not because you've sort of reimagined God and you've taken out the parts of God that aren't going to work for, for you to survive Judgment Day. Like, you know, the whole, I don't think God's really, I mean, we're good people, aren't we? We're pretty good. We're, I mean, you know, we're, oh, look at you guys. You got, you're nice guys. I mean, God's, he's not that big on justice, is he? We'll just filter that out. It's like, well, no, that's not where our confidence comes from. By just getting rid of part of what God has said about himself, it comes because we understand how to be confident. That it was all based on God approaching us, loving us, being gracious to us. That's where our confidence lies. And even in the, in the face of judgment, we would be at peace about who we are before Jesus, our Savior and Judge. And then he gives us another picture of love without fear. He says, it's, it's, well, it looks like Jesus. How did he love people? How did he love people? Clearly, clearly, Jesus had wrestled with those human fears. The Bible says that Jesus had to take on flesh. The Son of God had to become a person so that he could relate to us and we could know that he understood what it was like. Part of what he experienced was fear. And he, and he apparently mastered those fears magnificently. Remember, Jesus uh, saw a man who was born blind. He had compassion on him. He loved him. And out of that love, he wanted to do something for that blind man. Uh, but he also knew that there were these people over here, experts. Should have been experts in love, but they were experts in the law. And he knew that he would get condemned by them. He would be rejected by them and criticized by them. Maybe even tossed out of the temple or the, the synagogue. You can't be here because it's a Sabbath day. You can't love this man on a Sabbath day, not by healing him. What would control him? His love for the man. The man received his sight, born blind, never seen anything before. He awakens to see the face of Christ. What a, what a thing. What an amazing love. Jesus, remember, he's sitting across this table from Peter, and he begins to think about how just an hour or two from now, Peter, you are going to crash and burn. You are, you are going to stab me in the back. You're going to deny you even know me. You're going to hurt me. You're going to disappoint me so badly. And, and so what would Jesus be controlled by? His love for Peter? Or, or that fear of being disappointed? He looks past that and says, Peter, you're going to fail. And beyond that, here's, I love you. Here's what I have for you to do. You're about to just destroy your, yourself seemingly, and yet I've got a, a tremendous future for you. Love despite the fear. And then, of course, as we think about the greatest act of love ever, the, the cross, Jesus never gets to the cross if he doesn't go to the garden first. He goes to the garden where he deals with that fear of losing one's own way and he prays that famous statement, not my will, but your will, God. And so he can deal with his fear and he leaves the garden having conquered that and he can be controlled by love to go to the cross for our sake. It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. To love in a complete way beyond our fears. That's what we'll think about this morning. A few things help us kind of 
propel our, our capacity, increase our capacity to love others, maybe dealing with some fears along the way. First one, building on the basics. Think about experts for a moment. How, how do experts become experts? Athletes, for example. The, the very best athletes, the stars, what do they do? They, they become the very best at the fundamentals of their sport. They don't look at those things and go, oh, I don't need to do that. That's beneath me. That's for rookies. They become the best at it. That's why they're stars. Or think about people with real, going after really advanced degrees with all the, the, the letters. Scott probably has some of those. You know, there's just like those really big degrees and, and, and you, you know, those really smart people. And, and, and how did they approach their freshman year before they could even think about graduate school? Did they look at the freshman classes and go, oh, I don't want to take that. I want to go to grad school. I want to be a doctor. No. Those were the A students. Those were the people that, that could teach that course by the time they were done, right? Master students, grad students, they become experts by mastering those fundamentals. John says, here is our fundamental. Here is the most basic thing, the most simple thing, but absolutely the thing that you need to be an expert at. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Now, the fact that, uh, that God loved us first, that's what Matthias talked about last week. It was also in the passage previously. And, and uh, if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go online and listen to that, pa- that uh, message from last week. Matthias did a, a great job with that. And, and such an important thing, something that you really need to think about a lot. God loved us first. And so John kind of hints at this very, really basic, simple sequence. It's really obvious, but it starts with God loving us. And then you love God. You can't switch those around. If you try and love God into loving you, what is that? That's religion. That, that's works. That's something that's dead. That's something that doesn't get anywhere. God loved you before you were born. You can't love him first. You can't out-love him. You can't love him before you. (laughs) He already did it. God loves me, then I love God, and then I love others. There's a couple things about this really simple sequence that I think John is suggesting to us. First of all, while you could go out and just try and love others, I think he's saying, you know what, you'll have a really small capacity. (laughs) You'll run out. You'll get discouraged. Not sure how long you're going to keep going down that road. He says... Don't skip step one. It's fundamental. It's simple. That's true. But, but it is profound, and you will never be done with it, and you cannot even fully grasp it all. You need to, to, to bathe yourself in that. And, of course, that changes things for us. Our experience of being loved by a perfect, unfailing God is what gives us the ability to maximize that capacity to love imperfect people who do fail us. And who fail themselves. The greater your understanding of God's love, the, the greater your sense of security. The greater your, your sense of security, the greater your ability to love others. See, here's where we have this opportunity to filter out from our love some of our fears of rejection. Well, I'd like to, I'd love, like to love, love these people, but oh, what if they don't accept me? What if they don't love me as much? The last week, I just... I, Sorry, just stealing Matthias's message, but I loved his illustration of that. If you were here, you probably remember it. He talked about having, you know, a kid at Wednesday night, and maybe the 
student's not quite with the program, and he kind of confronts them on that. And, and uh, every once in a while, a student will just come out with like, well, I hate you, Matthias, and I'm never coming back. And he tries to intimidate him into something. And Matthias is like, well, I just think through, you know, well, my wife loves me and my kids love me. And actually, a lot of students love me and, you know, God loves me. And, and, and you see, from that place of security, it's not that he's saying, I don't care that you're saying I hate me. He's actually more free to say that he does care because now he's not intimidated by it. Okay, well, you can reject me, but it, mostly it makes me sad for you. <laughs> but it doesn't shatter my world. And he's free to love him. I I thought that was a great illustration. So you got it two weeks in a row. It's filtering out those fears of rejection. See, if you're having a really hard time in some relationship right now, there's there's a time for getting wise counsel and, and improving your communication skills. It's always a good thing. It'll always make relating easier. But there is no no substitute for being grounded in the reality that God loves you. That God loves you before you ever get into this other relationship. So, there's one thing about the sequence. Before you get to three, loving others, remember God loves you. Here's another thing about the sequence, and that is that the proof of step two, that I love God, that actually comes in step three. He's, this is an idea that he's uh, mentioned before, but he repeats it again. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Strong words. I think John wasn't timid. <laughs> he, was, he is a liar. He says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now, he's kind of been in our faces about this before. And so maybe we're kind of getting used to that. He's, he, he's bold with this, this challenge that if you're going to love God, you've you got to love people. It's going to happen. But the new wrinkle he adds here is this, this thing about seen and unseen. That's kind of, kind of the new part that we haven't heard before in John. It makes me think, uh, again, of another story in Jesus' life where you might remember it. He was teaching in this, uh, in this house, and it was really crowded. It was just packed, and you wouldn't even be able to get in the doors. And uh, so some people had a, a friend who couldn't walk, and they were determined to get him center stage in, in Jesus' presence. And so <laughs> I wish the story talked about the house owner. But anyway, these guys go up, and they do some remodeling, and they tear the roof off. <laughs> Anyway, that's why I'd love to see what the homeowner thought. But anyway, so they lower him down till he's like, imagine someone coming down right now. It would kind of take things over, don't you think? Somebody lowering down from the ceiling. And they plop him in front of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus isn't mad. In fact, he's actually impressed. He's like, wow, I can't believe, can't believe the work you guys would go to. You must have a lot of faith. And he looks at the man. It's not what he came for, but he said, wow, your sins are forgiven. Because clearly, there's a lot of faith going on here that you would work so hard to get right in front of me. Your sins are forgiven. And immediately, again, the, the experts, should have been experts in love, start, they start their grumbling. Whoa, forgiving sins, God, you know, and it's this rumbling thing going around, like you can't do that, and oh, you can't say that, and you can't do that, and Jesus quiets it down, and he says, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're saying, but let me ask you this. What's harder to say? I forgive your sins or get up and walk? And the answer is really obvious. It's much, much harder to say, get up and walk. Because see, he already said, uh, 
I forgive your sins, and people were debating it. See, there was some question. There was like, well, maybe, maybe not, no, can't be, and all that kind of thing. It's debated. If I say, get up and walk, two seconds later, right, either it's for real or it's not. It is harder to say the scene thing than the unseen thing. I kind of think that's what's going on here. Is it harder for me to stand up and go uh, to this, nothing against you guys, but, you know, to just say to this group, I love you guys, or to say, I really love God. See, I could, I could say I love God, and you'd be like, well, that's good, he's a pastor, he's supposed to, and you give me the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and But I say, I love you guys. You're instantly like, well, I have a sense of that immediately, don't I? Don't you? (laughs) You would be like, well, what do I know about him? What have you done for me? And all that kind of stuff. It just immediately becomes obvious that saying the thing that people can see is harder to say. John's point would be that if you love God because God's loved you, that's going to be something so real, so genuine. If it's authentic it cannot help but spill into every part, and it will be something that's seen, not just unseen. It's not something like you even decide to just keep in one part. You couldn't possibly keep it in one part. (laughs) It's going to show up where it's obvious and visible. That's his point. If you say you love God, you're going to love your brothers and sisters. You're going to love people. So, you need to maximize your capacity to love others. Don't skip that first step. When it's authentic and it's genuine, you begin to deal with some of that fear. It grows and it can be seen. Second thing, and that is it's helpful to keep a family kind of perspective when we're thinking about loving each other. When I was in uh, high school, we had, uh, we had a youth pastor that we just thought was the greatest thing ever. And he was. I mean, he was, he was a very good youth pastor. I mean, he was... Matthias and this guy. I mean, they, he was up there. And so um, we just thought the world of him, probably thought he could walk on water, but he was humble, so we only did it in private. You know, we never saw that. And so he, he was great. And then uh, I, had a, I had a friend, John, who was just really tied to this guy. I mean, his, he, he, I think he'd led him to Christ, and, he was, and, and John was, thought the world of him. And uh, his faith was really kind of actually dependent on him. And, and then a few years later, one day, the announcement comes out that our, our former youth pastor was divorcing his, his wife. And the family completely blew up. And I don't, don't even remember what happened to the kids. And, and it was a very sad, sad time. And then the word came out that uh, our youth pastor was saying things like, uh, yeah, I probably never really even loved her. Which... You know, like, okay, don't say that. That's not smart at all. Because immediately that leaves us going, oh, so you're divorcing your wife and you're a liar, right? Because either you're lying to yourself now or you were lying to yourself back in, when we were in high school and you couldn't stop talking about how great your wife was. And so there's, and, and, and it's sad and it's heavy and so forth, but it just, it hit all of us, but it hit John so hard and he couldn't handle it. He's like, I can't go to church, and John took it out on God. (laughs) He took it out on God. Now today, three or four years later, since we've been out of high school for five or six, um, John, John is in a much better place, but at the time, you know, he took it out on God, and I think back to that time where here was this guy that we loved, 
And we did. But how much more, how much better could we have loved him if he was less of an idol to us and more of a brother? More of a brother. John will make that point, that a family perspective is a powerful thing. He says that God has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So he starts off and he says, I know there's a a portion of you that just all you need is a command and you're ready to go. I mean, we could shut down this service right now. God said, if you love him, you got to love other people. And some of you are like, got it, I'm ready to go. But he also gives us some more. And and thankfully he does, because some of us need more. He gives us this kind of little, unfolds this little logical progression here is how I see it. That it starts with believing. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ, relationship always begins with trust. It can be measured by trust. It starts there. You believe, you trust Jesus to be who he said he was and that he's actually done for you what he said he's done. It begins there. And then John chooses a metaphor for relationship with God, one that's used in the Bible, and that is to be born. To have that relationship is to be like you are born again, which is basically meaning you're entering into a relationship that's alive that you didn't have before. It's a birth into something new. But the birth imagery makes us think, of course, of parent. He's your father. God, but God the father. You're related to him as a father. And that means that every other person that trusts Christ, God feels the same about them. His love and grace for you is the same way he feels about anyone else who will respond to him. Which means we're family. Now a good father who has many children doesn't doesn't, uh, pick one out and go, Hey, you're my child and the rest, they're here to do chores. Right? And yet sometimes we think, well, I'm the child of God. I'm the chosen one. And then, you know, all of you can do chores. (laughs) No, no, a good father doesn't do that. He has the same love and attitude and approach to each one of us. And he expects us to catch on to that and think, ah, that must have some implication for how I view them as well, taking our cue from him. We are... We're watching the end of some show. It's been going on for a while, but we just caught the end of it. This three people teams running all through Africa, through the desert and stuff, and they have to get to the finish line, and a team's eliminated every day and stuff. And I, I don't know. But anyway, they got to the finish line. It wasn't the team that won, but there are these three people, and they're interviewing them afterwards, and apparently they've been at it for weeks. I don't know. And, um, and what caught my attention was that uh, this one guy says, you know, I came with these other two guys, And we came as friends, but now after all the experiences we've been through and doing all the things that I didn't dream we could possibly do, jump out of airplanes and all this crazy stuff, now we're going home like family, brothers. Because there is that sense for us, regardless of what our biological family experience is, that family kind of one-ups a friendship. There's something greater there. There's something more awesome to hold on to. And we do that with each other when we really want to kind of say, oh, you're, you are ex- you're like family to me. And, and that, I believe, 
is what John is going after. And so he says, here you are related to the Father. Everyone who loves the Father will love the family. Will love the family. Now, a family perspective won't make the the hurts go away, and it doesn't make them okay, but a family perspective, I think, helps us filter out again a little more of those fears like, well, you know, y'all aren't perfect, right? Did you know that? You know, I've been catching on, for example, lately. I think the world's on. I think they're on to us. Have you noticed that? Apparently, we all can be a little jerky at times. They pick that up about Christ followers, about the church. The church can be a little jerky. They're talking about out. They're talking us about us out there. Did you have you noticed? And you know, it's not like we hold a corner on that market, but they're right. We we get a little, we get a little jerky. It's true, it's true. And and, and so you know, uh, the, this family idea doesn't make it okay that we hurt each other. On the other hand, you have to realize that here we come, we come to God having nothing to do with having performed well. It was all his grace. And then we turn around and we think about whether we'll love each other based on how well they perform. That doesn't sound like the family that God was, or how God was forming his family, does it? There's an inconsistency there. I think that would be John's point. Why would we go back to thinking about how well we're all performing? Again, it doesn't excuse when we hurt each other, but the family perspective helps us deal with some of that fear. When we deal a little of that fear, we're a little freer to love each other. Last thing is to, uh, well, get out of your own way. I mean, sometimes the thing that keeps me from loving you a little better is me. I, I get in my own way. I mean, think about it. We spend so much time kind of taking care of ourselves. We got, we got our life, right? And my life's got a lot of details. And I got, even today, I got some things, to, uh, like I just, I just remembered. There's towels in the washing machine. I need to put them in the dryer. See? I mean, we're always doing that. And that's for real, by the way. But, but we're, we're thinking about, we're thinking about life. And I got so much stuff to handle. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to do, right? Just taking care of your own life. And, and you should. You should be responsible to take care of your own life. But we get that motor going, and it's like it'll never stop. And we're like, I got this to do, and I got that to do, and I better take care of this. And oh, my. And it just keeps running. And it's such a drain, I think. It, it, it's such a preoccupation. How do we ever get around to loving anyone else and thinking about anyone else's life? Mr. Lee was telling me um, a couple weeks ago that last month they got this huge electric bill. I mean, it was like three or four times normal. And, uh, you know, really nice summer, right? It's, it's really nice and mild and, you know, like, well, they don't even have an air conditioner, but if they had one, I mean, we haven't started ours. And, you know, you just live with the windows open and you eat outside and who wants to cook? Let's have something cold. And it's just like really, don't you feel bad about griping about the spring? Because God had something really awesome for us. Anyway, it's this really nice summer and it's like, where is this electric bill coming from? And they just kind of thought, ah, that's a mistake. You know, we'll call them, get that thing red again and it'll be fine. But Lee's up early one morning, he goes out in his yard, and he walks by his pump house, and the, the pump on the well is just going, woo, 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 
<laughs> and it's like, uh-oh. Because there's no one in the house is even up yet. There's no shower running. No one's washing dishes or towels. And, uh, and, and so he's like, oh, no. And sure enough, the pump's running because of, uh, a pressure valve has failed. The pressure valve was saying, I want more pressure. And this pump can never possibly satisfy it. It's created water pressure, so they're fine in the house, but the valve's not fine. And it's just saying more, more, more. And sometimes I think that's where we're living. It's just like I got my stuff to take care of. And you know what? Let's, let's just stop. Get out of our own way so that we could love others. John says in verse 2, This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. Now, I don't know if John's toying with this or not, but be careful. Don't get brain freeze here because this is like a hamster wheel or something. And, and he says, okay, he's already said that loving, love for God is proved by loving people. And here he says love for people is proved by loving God, which is proved by keeping his commands, which we've already talked about are two really simple things. Take everything in your life and trust Jesus with it and then love people. <laughs> so his command is to love others, so then you love... And anyway, it's, there, it's either funny or there's a beautiful symmetry there. I think we should probably go with that one, though I like the funny theory. Anyway, we'll go on. It, it, it goes around, and, and I think that that's how God designed life, to fit together like that. Verse 3, he says, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, that is a fascinating idea. Think about that for a minute. His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, here he says, God's commanded you to love others, and that it's not a burden. And right away, I'm like, ooh, how often, how often do we think about loving people as really hard? Wow, okay, I'll love that, per, you know, okay, that'll be a burden, right? And here's John like, no, no, it won't. Not, not as you increase your capacity to love, as you filter out some of those fears, as that thing really grows, it's not even a burden anymore. I'm intrigued. I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued. What are you saying here, John? This, this is very interesting. He says that it's not a burden when you overcome the world. So there's some kind of victory you need in your life, and it's overcoming the world. And immediately I'm like, yes, of course. It's the world's fault. <laughs> it wasn't me all along. I feel so much better about myself, you know? It's that doggone world, you know? That world. you got to watch out for that thing. I knew that was my problem. I would love people much better without the world. <laughs> now, the problem, of course, is John has already described or defined for us early in the book what he means when he's talking about the world. He's talking about a way of thinking, and back in chapter 2, we were here, I don't know, it was spring. It was raining when we talked about this. He says, for everything in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, uh-oh, the pride of life, uh-oh, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So in the world, there is a way of thinking. The way of thinking is a self-centered way of thinking, and it comes at me to appeal to my flesh, my eyes, my pride. Whoops. 
Whoops. It's something in me that I need victory over. Yeah, the, it's a, a world way of thinking, but it draws me in just like that. Because I got all this stuff in here that would just be so happy to have the world all about me. But you see, when I say that, you recognize how ridiculous that is. Can you imagine how terrible it would be for you if the world revolved around Pastor Bill? <laughs> You see, we should all take a turn up here, one at a time. What if the world was all about you? Now, what would... Uh, not so good. Not so pretty. He, John has defined that world as all those things that appeal to us inside. But he says there's a, a victory to be had over all of that, and it starts with belief. He says... Whoops, got to go back to our verse here. He says it comes when we believe... Where is it? There it is at the end. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Where we say, oh, that's right, I read that once. Life's about him. Oh, that's right, he created the world. It's, it's by Jesus and for Jesus. It's about him. And I don't belong as a sinner of the world. Though a little part of me would like to be there, the rest of me realizes that when I put Jesus there, I don't know. It, if I were you, I would feel a lot better about me not being the center of the world. Right? And it is true in your life as well. Putting him in that place sets us free. It sets us free. Some of the things we fear, fear that if we love people, might they just run over us? Might we not get our own way? Might we lose some control? Yeah. And, and how much freer you'll be. How much less burden you will have. Freer to love. When we're not selfish, we become free to, as John said, follow God's command, his command to love one another. And so here's perfected love. There's less self, which means there's less fear. And with less fear, there's more love. And when there is more love, as it becomes genuine and authentic, we find that's not a burden. Think about it. Think about a time you really have loved someone and you did something for them. Was that a burden or was that a joy? When you really felt like it was love, that was a joy. And so when we talk about how, so, how, how difficult it is to love each other, you know, you understand why we say that? Because that's not quite so much love, and it's a lot of fear. John says, take the fear out. Gain that victory. Trust Christ. Put him at the center. Be set free. Be set free of the fears, and you'll be able to love. Now, what's your capacity today? How full's the tank? How full could it be? What fears compromise your ability to love others today? And how could Jesus help you face those this week? Things to think about as we go and, and as we leave understanding that this is what God wants to accomplish in our lives. That we'd be free to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you have such amazing plans for us. 
not just to patch over relationships and put band-aids on them and kind of prop them up to get through another day, but to actually heal them, to be set free by your love in our lives, to be, to be grabbed and, and, and captivated by that love, and to be absolutely changed fundamentally to our core because of that experience so that we're set free to be people of love who reflect our loving Heavenly Father. Father, I pray you'd accomplish that this week. I pray for every one of us that you would give us a sense, give us a sense individually, whatever we need this week to understand in a new way the depth of your love for us. And that would change us. Father, we thank you that we can see that when we look towards your Son. We thank you for Jesus, even as we, as we close, singing in praise to you about what he's done for us and how he's loved us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.